Good morning, everyone. If you're reading from this Bible, it's on page 657. If you have the other Bible that looks a little bit different, it's on page 931. Or it's just a little bit before the New Testament. Oh, good, right. We're sorted on there. Yes, that's what I'm reading. So, <laughs> Micah 2, verse 6. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord angry? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to him whose ways are upright. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessings from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled. It is ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for this people. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like a sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. You should not you should not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. Therefore, night will come over you without visions, the darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces, because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of the house of Israel, of Jacob, sorry, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Please take a seat. This, uh, it's not going to be comfortable, is it? You read uh, from Micah, and um, I don't know, I, I did hear uh, the comment after the reading that it was a pretty dark passage. Yes, yes it is. But there's a ray of hope. Did you see it? 
like bookends of darkness. There's a ray of hope in the middle. We'll get to that. How many times do you hit the snooze button in the morning? 14? Is that what you said? No, good work. Uh, of course, some of you are retired and the snooze button is no longer a thing. I, I, I understand. <laughs> but I'll bet it used to be. In fact, I know some people who uh, hit the snooze button five or six times on their alarm before they get out of bed. It's 50 minutes. It's ridiculous. It just doesn't. Uh, I'm sure some people love the snooze button. I must say I don't. Uh, I've, I learnt young that when the alarm goes off, it's time to get on with the day. Don't you hate people like that? <laughs> but some people, they're, they're not wrong, just different. They love the snooze button. Now, for your nightly sleep, the snooze button doesn't pose a really big risk. But when it comes to fire alarms or intruder alarms, they don't have a snooze button for good reason. Alarms are designed to get a person to sit up and take notice. And we respond to them in one way or another. We respond to them. Those of you in the planning space might have uh, thought about how do we set fire alarms for people who are disabled, ha have no sight and no hearing. Uh, I, did, I did see that canvassed once. No sight and no hearing. How do you set a fire alarm for them? The answer is wasabi issued in a puff of of uh, smoke out of the fire alarm and that'll wake you up. Today's passage is an alarm for us to respond to as well. The prophet Micah is sending out God's alarm. There's a problem, a problem with God's people, a problem in the world that requires a response. There's plenty of problems identified in today's passage. Did you see it? From chapter 2, verse 6, through to the end of chapter 3, looking at it, we can see the following problems. Verse 8, attacking unsuspecting victims. Verse 9, you're heading for exile. Chapter 3, verse 2, you're hating good and loving evil. Verse 3, abusing your fellow brothers and sisters. Verse 5, corrupt prophets. Verse 9, corrupt leaders. And the biggest warning of all, chapter 3, verse 12, destruction is coming. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will be turned into ruins. There's an attack, a fire, a disaster coming. And this is the moment for God's people to respond but they're just hitting the snooze button. And in addition to the problems identified, our passage today also points out three possible responses. We're going to consider each rebellion, rescue, and repentance. A different set of three R's. Rebellion. Back to the start of our passage the rebellion seems to be the first response. In Micah chapter 2, verse 6, Do not prophesy, they said. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should it be said, house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord angry? Would he do such things? Micah's been given a difficult task. Warning, 
a rebellious people. He's the buzzing alarm telling people they've overslept. Or more pertinently, he's the pesky alarm on the dashboard that is warning people that they are speeding. You know, you're driving along when the speedometer, I'll do it your way, the speedometer ticks up over the speed limit in some cars, a little red light, or on your map, the little speed limit changes colour. In some cars, there's even a beep, an audible beep. If Micah's original recipients could drive, they'd be putting a post-it note over that speedo or trying to switch off the warning beep or putting their fingers in their ears. Their response is to try to shut Micah up. Quit your whining, they say. Don't prophesy, because we don't want to hear that we're wrong. In fact, here they're also saying that Micah is wrong. See verse 7, they're saying to Micah, God's not impatient. He won't punish us. They're pointing out that God is patient and kind. He would never have to correct his people. It's like shouting at the alarm clock. It's not time to wake up yet. Don't you know you're wrong, alarm clock? I know people who do that. (laughs) When I was young, I used to imagine what it was like to have a broken vending machine, one that gave you what you want without any payment required. Did you ever imagine that? Uh, Some of my school friends even claimed to have seen one once. It's probably a bit more urban myth, but imagine it. Chips, chocolate, lollies at the push of a button and no need to pay. That's how some people see God, as an eternal vending machine, just giving out whatever we need and never asking for payment. It seems that some people are happy to hear about a patient God, a merciful God, a benevolent God, a God with no standards. Actually, it's not just our generation that suffers from this it's the same in Micah's day and I'd argue it's the same for every generation that existed stop telling me I'm wrong and just give me the good stuff I'm not that bad and even if I was God would just overlook it from the very start preachers prophets and believers have been told not to warn the people that they've offended God But Micah tells us why he won't be silenced, why he won't be snoozed. From the next part of verse 7, Don't my words do good to him whose ways are upright? Lately my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled. It's ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I'll prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he'd be just the prophet for this people. That bit is so sad, it's a bit funny. Reminds me of a wayward church minister who set up Bring Your Minister a Beer Day. Was even in the newsletter. Bring Your Minister a Beer Day. They probably hadn't spent much time in the book of Micah. I know of another church where the minister was told to stop preaching from the Bible. People have their own Bibles at home. If they want to find out what the Bible says, they can go and read it. Stop doing this over and over again. Give us something new. 
And many preachers have been told to stop preaching about sin. It's a dirty word. Just get to the blessing stuff. And yet we cannot hit the snooze button on God. Because here in Micah, the rebellion of God's people is all-encompassing. It's heading for catastrophe. And we can see it. First, the prophets only want to talk about patience and peace. And now the rebellion is like a pandemic. The people have risen up like an enemy. They were supposed to be God's chosen people, but they've acted like his enemies rather than his servants. And disaster is coming. Did you see it? Verse 10, go away, God says. This is not your resting place. It is defiled. This is the language of exile. God is revoking his blessings to his people. In that period of Israel's history, God set Israel up in their own territory. It was supposed to be a place where they could rest and serve God. He drove their enemies away to create space for them to rest. But now, as verse 8 says, it's his own people who are acting like the enemy. What does God do to his enemies? He drives them away. So it seems logical that God will drive away these people too. In verse 9, the rebellion of the people will result in women being driven from their homes. It will result in the children, the descendants, losing their blessing. That is, losing the land God gave them. Losing the name God gave them. You can really feel this anguish. I don't know if you've been through a relationship breakup or had to leave your job. But there comes a time when you realise that too much has happened for there to be reconciliation. And if a person continues to be spiteful, continues to rebel, continues to hurt you, then you have to get some separation. God's at that stage with his people. That's got to hurt, got to hurt him and it's going to hurt them. These are the descendants of Abraham. Remember that he promised to give land, a people, a blessing. They're the descendants of Moses. In Exodus 6, when Israel was in Egyptian slavery, God announced through Moses, I will take you as my own people and I'll be your God and the land I swore to give Abraham, I'll give you as a possession. That's the land they're dwelling in. But now he's saying enough is enough. I'm going to remove you from the blessing that I brought you into. You'll you'll no longer find rest here. But the rebellion continues. In verse 11, God's people are surrounding themselves with the sorts of liars that make them feel good. They're searching for a liar and a deceiver who says, I'll prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, plenty of good times, plenty of celebration, not the warning of Micah. God's people are blocking their ears to the alarm and God is distancing himself from them as they prefer the words of comfort from a deceiver rather than the truthful warning of God. That's a situation you and I know all too well. When we bring a word of correction 
when we point out sin and some people rebel, they say it's not nice to talk about religion at a dinner party. When they say, no, I'm not ready to listen, but instead they are ready to listen to liars who make them feel comfortable with self-help, with self-medication, with amusement of beer and wine and TV and sugar and everything else that provides false comfort while distracting people from God's plan. Whether it's in Micah's time or today, we see what rebellion brings. If you ignore the warning, you'll find yourself separated from God. If you choose to distance yourself from God, God will be distanced. If you rebel against the warnings, you'll find yourself separate from God. But God gives us all good things. And so if we are separate from God, we can look forward to separation from everything we know to be good. And because God is eternal, when God separates from you, that separation is eternal. The separation lasts forever. Rebels face eternal exile. If you're living your life without God, you might be feeling uncomfortable about the discussion so far. That's the aim of this passage. You might say, I'm no rebel, I'm a responsible person, I am a good person. If God's got a problem, that's God's problem, not mine. Well, it's time to stop hitting the snooze button on God's warning and heed the warning. Don't be like the speeding driver who gets annoyed when he gets a ticket and gets angry at the policeman. Heed the warning before it's too late. God requires your obedience. God requires your respect. God requires your faith. Just because you don't value what he values, that doesn't make it okay. You must put him first. Your life is more than chasing the next wine or beer, chasing the next distraction. Life is more than just one snooze button after another. It's time to wake up. Well, we've been pretty bleak so far, haven't we? We've been looking at a prophecy where the main players are beer-chasing, wine-drinking, home-wrecking, highway robbers. Where have all the heroes gone? The good news is this. The prophecy isn't over. We're about to find out who the real hero of the story is from verse 12. I will surely gather you, all of Jacob, all of you, O Jacob, God says. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass before them, the Lord at their head. God is sounding the warning, yes, but God is the hero of this story. God will gather. God will lead. God will grant freedom. This is a word of prophecy. But when was the prophecy fulfilled? 
on one hand, it was fulfilled when Israel, having been abandoned into exile in a foreign country, was granted a return to this homeland, granted a return back to the promised land. And we see that playing out across the Old Testament. You'll have to trust me on that for now. For them, God reassures the people of Israel that he will break them out of captivity and lead them back into rest. The language reminds Micah's original hearers of the story of Israel's slavery in Egypt. Do you recall Exodus chapter 13 when we read, The Lord went before them, leading them out of Israel, Egypt as a pillar of cloud leading along the way and by night a pillar of fire. Just as God broke his people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, he is capable of breaking his people out of the coming exile. And yet there's more to this prophecy for us. We know that rescue stories like this in the Bible point to the grand narrative of rescue across the whole Bible. It's a rescue story which includes you and me. If Micah's hearers did heed the warning that they were doing the wrong thing, they'd be wondering how they could get back on the right path with God. What must I do? And if you heed the warning, you might be asking, what can you do to get right with God? What do you need to do to be rescued from this judgment that is coming? In fact, there's nothing you can do. Because when you need rescue, God is the hero. God is the hero of every rescue story in the Bible. God is the hero here in verse 13. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. The people can't rescue themselves. That job's given to someone else. Just as God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, God will provide the rescue for you too. Who? Who can rescue you from the judgment you deserve? The hero is God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says as much himself in the Gospels. In the Bible accounts of Jesus' life, Luke 19, Jesus says... I have come to seek and to save the lost. John 3.16, Jesus says, Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. Who is the hero of the biblical story of rescue? It's God. Through Jesus who came to rescue his people from exile, from separation. Jesus is, as Micah puts it, the one who breaks open the way back to freedom. That sense of breaking open the way conveys a sense of difficulty, right? Breaking open. There's struggle. And that's true because of our sin. Because when we were rebels, separated from God, separated for eternity... Death was like an impenetrable wall that we couldn't break through. 
And so the only way back is when God's son, Jesus, suffered to break through the impenetrable wall of death. Jesus led the way when he broke through the punishment of death by dying the death we deserve. And he led the way when he rose from the dead to blaze a trail for us to our new home with his people. We could never find a way to peace. We could never find a way to rescue except that God's son broke through the impenetrable barrier of separation and passed through before us. Let me summarise. When we rebel, we are exiled. We are separated. When we refuse to follow God, the only ju- the judgment we deserve can only be eternal separation from God and from his good things. Our only way back is by turning to the hero of the Bible, God, through Jesus, whose death and resurrection and ascension breaks through the penalty of death, breaks through the isolation that we deserved and returns us to God's promised land of true rest. You can turn your life around today, not by what you do, but by trusting in what God has done for you, by trusting in his ability to lead you and guide you back to safety. And so we've had two options today for responses to God, to God's warning, to choose to rebel or to choose rescue. There was a third R, though. I've got to round this out. For those of you who are following God, there is a third response, which still applies. The alarm of Micah warns you to repent. As we turn to chapter 3, there's plenty of warning to come. Similar to chapter 2. I'm not going to read through it all, but it is relevant that being God's people still brings with it a need to repent, a need for correction. And the warning of verse 12 is most pertinent here. Therefore, because of you corrupt people, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, a temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. When God's people take the wrong path, he warns them to repent. That warning may come from the Holy Spirit inside the believer. Counselling and urging. Don't hit the snooze button on the Holy Spirit. Don't block your ears to the Holy Spirit inside you, warning you. That warning might come from trusted friends. It might come from church leaders who exercise discipline. But regardless of where it comes from, the question is, are you going to submit to God and follow him? And when you read this Micah passage, you have to wonder whether the people of this day heeded the warning. Actually, you don't need to wonder because Jeremiah chapter 26 tells us that they did heed the warning. It's quoted in Jeremiah 26 
Micah's warning was listened to and the king, King Hezekiah, humbled himself and turned around and the people with him and God relented because the people turned back. And a generation later, Micah's son was involved in a similar rebuke to the then king, the next king, who was so humbled by that warning that he repented and brought his people with him. And God relented yet again. God has form here in the Bible that those who are humble, who submit to him, will receive God's mercy. See, God is the vending machine that gives free gifts, but he is also the God of standards. And for those who accept him as king, he will lavish blessing upon blessing for eternity. This is great news, isn't it? A ray of hope in this bleak passage of Micah. That he's not just warning, but he's warning with mercy and with readiness to forgive and relent. God's demonstrated that he's prepared to offer mercy to those who put their trust in him, to turn back to him. And the way you turn back to him is by trusting in Jesus and heeding the warning of these passages, trusting that what God says is best. That's true humility. Acknowledging that God's ways are better than your ways that God sets the rules, that God is the true king and we are not. We don't just follow God because we've assessed that what he says suits us. We follow God because he is the king and even where we don't understand, we have faith that his rules are good. Now, you may, live, you may not have a modern-day Micah in your ears telling you you're doing the wrong thing, but what was Micah's role? Micah's role was as a prophet to bring God's word. And that's what your Bible does. It brings God's word in a more complete way than even the people of Micah's day had. Is there a verse from Micah or from the Bible that this week you've been trying to block your ears to? Is there a verse in your Bible that you just skip over because you know it means change? Stop hitting the snooze button on God's word. It's time to put it first and to look to God's word like a teacher that shows you the way you should go. Or maybe you have a trusted Christian friend who's been trying to correct you patiently, but you keep changing the conversation. Or you just miss the meetings because you know you're in the wrong. They might have noticed you aren't making time for the Bible each day. They might have noticed that you need to rethink your workload. They might have noticed something about your speech or your parenting or your habits. And they want to bring you a word of warning. Don't hit the snooze button on them. If they're a trusted friend, listen to them and follow up what they say in the Bible to make sure it aligns with God's word. 
and thank God that he's brought a message of warning to you in time for you to repent. You see, rebuke is coming to all of us sooner or later. You can't live this life perfectly. And so if your ears are not open to rebuke, you're just hitting the snooze button. Stop leading yourselves into calamity and start living the best life that God has planned for you, the life that comes from submitting to him as king and following his way. Are you his people? If so, accept his rebuke and repent. Turn back to God's way and rest in the fact that God delights to show mercy and loves to lavish good gifts on his people. And he's come to us to break through the impenetrable or so seemingly impenetrable wall of death and offer us real rest and real life. So stop ignoring the warning signs. Stop hitting the snooze button on God and start living the life he had planned for you. What is it that you need to do today as a result of God's warning? Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, Lord, you bring correction and warning to us all because we have all fallen short of the best way of life. Lord, help us to recognise that warning and help us to surround ourselves with people who do bring your word. Help us, Lord, to acknowledge what you have been warning us about and to turn our lives around in submission to you because you love to show mercy and you love to lavish good gifts on us. We thank you for the gift of your word which teaches us the way we can go and we thank you that overall Jesus breaks through where we could not. And in his name we pray. Amen.